My name is Tara Beth Leach and I serve as one of the pastors here and I have the thrill and the joy of opening the word with you as we continue our series, The Book of Kings. And I wanna speak for a moment to those of you who are 25 and under. I wanna tell you about this. This is show and tell. This is what we call a cassette tape. Now, mom and dad, your mom and dad, there were no cell phones that distracted them when they were driving. What would distract them when they were driving was when they had to flip the tape over, or they would actually have to fast forward and guess where it was going to, if they wanted to listen to a specific song, sometimes we would have to have to like memorize, okay, it's about like 10 seconds, and then I'll get there. And for me, when I was in middle school, I would actually stick this in a, a cassette pl tape player and turn on the radio and then I would wait till my favorite song came on the radio and I would record it so that I could listen to it over and over. Okay, now here's the thing about these cassette tapes that's kind of cool. Uh, there's two sides to it, and both sides would play something. So it's called, all right, so, so those of you who are 25 and over, maybe 30 and over, and you know what the sides are called, say it with me. It's side A and side B, exactly, very good. And so sometimes side A and side B would, would have songs on both sides. It would be the complete and full album. Sometimes side A would be the album, and then side B would be bonus tracks that you wouldn't always find out about until you, until you listened. And I remember one cassette tape in particular growing up uh, w with a music artist that I particularly enjoyed, and they had the album on side A, and then side B was like all this behind-the-scenes uh, recording studio noise that you could listen to when they were in the studio. And you see, we all have stories. And oftentimes, we focus on the side A of our stories. Here's what I mean. So this last week, we've gathered with, with uh, groups of women uh, for a leader, women's leadership conference and something that we've called Lead Bold. And whenever I'm in gatherings like this, I often find myself reflecting on my leadership journey. As I'm mentoring other women and their journey, they'll ask me questions. And I'm always in awe of the leadership journey that God has taken me on. I, I often think to myself, like, pinch me. Is this real? Is this really happening? As I reflect on all the open doors uh, that, that God has opened. I remember the very first time that I preached in a pulpit at 22 years old. It was a rural church in St. Anne, Illinois, and it had one of those giant wooden pulpits that I had to climb up and stand behind, and I felt like I was drowning in it. And those 20 saints in St. Anne, Illinois, were so kind and welcomed me as I was standing there shaking in my heels that I was actually preaching to real people. Up until then, I'd just been preaching to cornfields and mirrors. Uh, and, but I was now I was actually preaching to real people. And then I think about the first job out of college where they were actually then paying me to preach to students. And then I'll never forget the first time that I was on staff here. I remember I, thinking I'm, I'm following I'm following Tracy Bianchi, who followed Adele Calhoun. And I remember opening up the word of God the first time at what, at what we then called the well. And teaching and just thinking, really? Y'all like want to let me do this? You're actually going to like pay me to do this? And then I think about, you know, from there, like when I, when I started getting these opportunities to write and publish, thinking, how is this actually happening? How am I getting to do this? And then I remember the kind of the culmination of that journey in 2016 when I became the lead pastor of a church in Pasadena called First Church of the Nazarene of Pasadena, or what we affectionately called Pasnaz. 
And it was a significant moment for a lot of people in evangelicalism because I was the first woman of that church, the first woman of a large church in our denomination at the time, the only uh, female pastor of a large church in the United States. And so it felt like a significant moment for a lot of people. And so, so this week, a lot of the women, they want, they want to talk about that leadership journey. And I could very easily say, yeah, that's my story. That's side A. Or I could flip the tape. And I could tell you about every single moment on whose shoulders I stood on, of the countless people that poured into me. I could tell you about how significant it was that Adele Calhoun, the first woman preacher here, who paved the way for so many women, and then Tracy Bianchi, who also then continued to pave the way for so many women. I could tell you about the countless times that I called on Dan Meyer for mentoring and wisdom and the way that he poured into me. I could tell you about the countless mentors, those people who came into my life and said, Tara Beth, we see something in you and we want to pour into you. I could tell you about the countless people in my life who said the really hard things to me, who told me when I was falling short, who told me when I had a lot of room to grow in self-awareness, those people who said the things that were really even hard for me to hear, but they helped shape me in my journey. You see, I think sometimes when we think about our stories, we think about building the legacy on the side A. We get real myopic. And we think about building my legacy, building my platform, building my kingdom. But what we often miss out is that there's side Bs. And there's countless people that have poured into us whose shoulders that we stand upon. And so the question that I wanna ask every one of you in this room this morning, no matter what generation you are, is this. Will your name end up on someone else's side B story? Will your name end up on someone else's side B story? We can think of countless people who we think of their side A stories and the incredible things that they've done. We, we could talk about Michael Phelps, for example, and wow, like how incredible he is, or, or Simone Biles, or uh, Hussein Bolt, or Michael Jordan, or Jackie Robinson, all these incredibly people that have built these awesome legacies. But on their side B, it's hundreds of names and coaches and mentors and family members that carried them at times to the place where they found themselves, whether it was podiums or holding on to gold medals. Will you end up on someone else's side B story? You see, today we are continuing our series, The Book of Kings. And up until now, we've been reflecting on the journey of Elijah. Elijah has been an incredible, fearless, faithful, courageous leader. And we have celebrated, we've reflected upon his side A story that has had ups and downs. He has stood before the king and he's told the king really hard things. He stood before the people of Israel and called them away from worshiping this, this, this God that is not a real God, Baal, and called them to worship the one and true God, Israel. And as a result, he's been rejected over and over again. He's been incredibly courageous. 
He's performed incredible miracles. He has prophesied on behalf of God. He has found himself in the wilderness and that is his side A story. Well, today we're gonna take a look at him making a shift and participating and pouring into someone else's side B story. We're gonna open up our Bibles if you have them or you can follow along on the screens from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses one through 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Now, okay, just by the way, we're gonna be going back and forth between Elijah and Elisha. Uh, and my husband this morning, as we were talking about it, he says, it's gonna be really confusing. You should just tell them E1 and E2. Uh, so, we, so we might do that. Okay, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him and Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God today. So as I've shared, we have reflected on the incredible, emboldened, and courageous leadership of Elijah. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the difficult story where, where Elijah found himself in the wilderness. He was wanting to give up. Uh, Pastor Charlie Browning gave this incredible message. If you have not listened to it, it had me in tears. I encourage you to check it out from a couple of weeks ago. Elijah finds himself in the wilderness. He's been rejected. He's fearing for his life. He's hungry. He's wondering and questioning, where are you, God? And God shows up, tenderly cares for him, feeds him, and then tells him to get back out there into the game, and he sends him with a new charge. And the charge is to find his successor. And the successor's name is Elisha, E2. Now, it would be tempting to read this as a punishment, to read this as though God is looking at Elijah thinking, you know what, <laughs> you're, you're, you're giving up on me, you're, you're not doing so well, or, or you're too old, uh, you just ought to retire, Elijah, and just get out of the way and let this next guy come in, go hit the golf course, and live your best life now. But that's actually not what's happening in the text. Instead, what we see is God is giving Elijah, E1, a new charge to go find his successor, to pour into him and to raise him up. And so then we see Elijah come under the wing and the influence and the guidance and the mentorship of Elijah. He becomes his servant. He becomes his apprentice, if you will. He invests and the work of another leader so that God's work can then continue. You see, we've been talking about in the series that leadership matters. 
At the very outset of this sermon, Dan talked about leadership matters. We've been reflecting on that. Why does leadership matter? Because it trickles down. It has the ability to shape cultures, to create movements, and to shape cultures, the kind of cultures that reflect the goodness and the kingdom of God, and it has incredible trickle-down effects for better and oftentimes even for worse. And so our leadership and our character and our influence matters, especially when it's rooted in the ways in the kingdom of God. Your leadership impacts others. But I believe that the opportunity for legacy building, for lasting change, is not believing that it's about just our side A story, but it's about the side B of other people's story. Legacy in God's kingdom doesn't stop at our side A. Why? Because we see all throughout scripture that God's work and that God's plan transcends generations, moves from one generation to the next. And God is constantly working up to build up one generation after the next generation after the next generation and calling people to do that. And this is loud all throughout the pages of the Bible. Psalm 145 example says this. One generation commands your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see the greatest command, the great Shema, as it's called in the Old Testament, the great Shema. And Jesus also calls it the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12, which is this. God says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. We do that as a family before every meal. Why? Because in Deuteronomy it says, do this and impress this upon your children. In other words, pass this legacy on. And then how many times in the Bible do we see God say something like, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Recalling the people to remember the work of God throughout generations. God is often reminding people of his work decades later, how he rescued the people of God out of Egypt. And when we gather together every single Sunday, what we do is we recall this grand narrative of God of how God has worked throughout generation after generation. We are sitting here in this space because of the work of generations that have gone before us, who have been courageous, who have been faithful to the Lord, and who have practiced fidelity to one another. And we need those reminders because every single one of us have this propensity or inclined to think that It's about my kingdom. It's about my legacy. It's about what I build. We have this reflex to be like the kings of the past who build these great and grand pyramids with our names sketched upon them so that the world would know how great of a life that we have lived, what we have accomplished. We care about our podiums. We care about our platforms. We live in a selfie influencer generation and we are surrounded by a look what I've done, look what I have accomplished. But good leadership 
is not about building a personal platform or accomplishments, but it's about seeing that God's plan is massive. That it's not a myopic view, but that God is working around the globe throughout generations with this master, grand, big, beautiful plan of, of restoring a weary creation, of lifting the lowly, of healing the broken, of setting the captives free. And God is doing this with not just one individual, but countless individuals through countless generations. It's not just about our personal achievement, you see, but it's about every single one of us being part of the big plan of God. So I want to speak a word to two different generations in here today. I want to speak to those of you who have power, who have wisdom, perhaps age, and influence. This is what I want to say to you. You matter. We need you. You matter. We need you. See, there is a lie from the pits of hell that says youth culture is everything. Step aside, older generation. I'm, I'm reminded this morning of a story about an astronaut in 1998. Perhaps you've heard of him. John Glenn. He was 77 years old when he went on the discovery. And we gathered in a room of reporters, with about 100 different reporters. All they wanted to talk about was his age, and he scolded them. And then Time Magazine piece began this article about him. This country is no country for old men. That is what the world wants you to believe. The world wants you to believe that the time, by the time you become 65, that it's time to step aside, get out of the way, and that your influence, that your wisdom no longer matters, my friends. That is the antithesis to the story that we see in scripture. We need your voice, we need your mentoring, and you might be shocked to know that when you begin pouring into the next generation, how hungry they are to learn from you, how hungry and eager they are to learn about your mistakes, your wins, your lows, your highs, your valleys, your mountaintops, the things that you wish you would have done differently, the things that you wished you would have known when you were 21 years old. They want to hear from you because they understand that life Life is big and complex and hard. And yes, I know that there are some that think that they know it all. Teenagers at times, sometimes, sometimes. But give it time. They want to learn from you. But here's what I also want to say. Begin praying this prayer right now. Start praying it every single morning. Ask God to give you the eyes to see the potential and others as God sees it. You know, sometimes we're looking for people to mentor who are just like us. And we're surrounded by people, however, who have incredible gifts. I'm thinking this morning about Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know, when he was a boy, he auditioned for the Liverpool Choir, and the choir master said he didn't have a good enough voice. 
And then there was another guy by the name of John Lennon, who was Aunt Mimi, was constantly hounding him to stop playing the guitar because she said that his guitar will never get him anywhere in life. We have these two people who have incredibly shaped culture and the world and no one saw their potential early on. Think about all the people that you are surrounded with who have incredible potential. And then think about the power that you have to spur them on, to tap them on the shoulder, to simply say, I see something in you. I see your potential. Let me come alongside of you. Let me empower you. Let me embolden you. Let me befriend you. I wonder how many future pastors there are, future evangelists, future leaders, future musicians, future culture shapers, future world changers. I was reflecting in between services with someone who came to me and was talking about how Aaron Foster is getting ordained and how amazing it was because she said, I remember Aaron when he was young and his mom was debating whether or not she should send him to Wheaton College or what, 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 what she should do. And this woman said that she, she helped Aaron's mom in the discernment process of, of which school to go to. And I said, that's what I'm talking about. You're part of Aaron's story. You are part of Aaron's side B story. And next Sunday, Aaron and Steve, are, they're gonna be ordained and we are gonna celebrate the incredible things that they're doing, but they will be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses of people that have poured into him. And I'm amazed, especially uh, with Aaron Foster this morning, that he has grown up at this church. And so many of you in this place have shaped that within him. You've called out gifts in him and you have raised him up. And look and watch what God is doing now through his life and also through Steve's life. Because people like you tap them on the shoulder. How many more Aaron's are there out there? How many more Steve's are there out there? Just looking and waiting. So pray that simple prayer. Pray that God would give you eyes to see the potential in them as God sees it. Because sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, Lord, no, (laughs) they are a hot mess. But through God's eyes, God sees something different. God sees an image bearer. God sees the potential. And God knows what God wants to do in and through them. Would you invest in their lives? And I want to speak to the younger generation, which by the way, both of these apply to all generations. Those in your 20s, you can invest in a teenager. Those in your 30s, you can invest in a 20-year-old. Those in your 40s, I'm I'm 40 years old. And I have a dozen or more women that I am mentoring one-on-one and coaching. And I'm also surrounded by women that have gone before me, that are coaching me and investing in me, men and women that are coaching me and investing me and raising me up and pouring into me. So here's what I wanna say to the younger generation, those of you who still have maybe a lot of potential. The generation of you, the generation ahead of you matters. You are building on the successes of the generation before you. Learn from them. 
Submit yourself to them. Sit at their feet. Listen to them. It's tempting sometimes to think that we are just going to build our own legacy, that we are going to muster through it, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This bootstrap theology is embedded in our country. But it's not a theology that is rooted in scripture. We need each other. We are so tempted to think that it's just our generation that is here to, to, to fix the world of everything that the generation before us messed up on. But the reality is we are gonna mess up just as much as the generation before us. And what we can learn about the generation before us is what they've learned along the way, the wisdom We often think that we are building on our own legacies, but the reality is, is we are building on the legacies of those who have gone before us. We are standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. I wonder if you're familiar with the work of an Italian Renaissance sculptor by the name of Agostino de Duccio. I'm guessing you haven't unless you're an art major. Let me tell you just a little bit about him. I I learned about him from Steve Noble recently, who is an incredible artist as well. You know, in 1463, Deducio was commissioned to build a sculpture of David. And in the cathedral known as Duomo, maybe you're familiar with it, we have a picture of it here, uh, of the Florence uh, Cathedral. Uh, This I expect that you are familiar with. It's one of the most famous buildings in the world. Well, Deduccio, he was was commissioned as an artist to build a sculpture of David next to a sculpture of Joseph. One that you're probably more familiar with from another artist by the name of Donatello. Not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Donatello. So, but he wanted to work with a very specific marble. So he traveled miles and miles and miles away to the Swiss Alps to find a 24,000 pound piece of marble. It was so big that they had to put holes in it with timber to bring it back to the city. And it took two years, I'm told, it took two years for them to get that marble back. People were so excited when he returned with this piece of marble that they lined the streets and they welcomed Deduccio with this great parade that he was, he was returning back with this marble and that he was going to make this incredible statue of David. And he had this vision, he etched it out, he wanted it to be giant and he had this vision of exactly how it was going to look. Well, as the story goes, he did not finish the project. And that 24,000 pound, pounds of marble sat for 40 years until another one came along, one that we're probably more familiar with, someone by the name of Michelangelo, who was later commissioned to build upon the work of Deduccio And we are probably really familiar with with this this statue. And probably no one in here, unless you're an art major, knew that Michelangelo was building upon the work 
of an artist before him, that he was building off of the vision of someone that had gone before him. This marble that we see on the statue, Deduccio, he picked that out. The original vision, it came from him. And Michelangelo's work was informed by the artistry of Deduccio. Now this is massively important for us today. And to understand that in the church, we are but a ripple effect of those who have gone before us. And the work that we do now will create ripple effects for generations to come. And many of you who are grandparents especially, you get this now. Because you're seeing the world rapidly change. And you long for there to be a world that your grandchildren, that when they grow up, that they will live in the ways of God, that they will love God with everything. And that's going to take all of us to create that kind of space and that kind of world. This life that we live is not about building our own legacy. That's a fool's game. Because the reality is our legacies are fleeting. We could do that or we could step back and see that God, the grand artist, is doing something so wild and magnificent, something that is difficult for even me to imagine, difficult for us to imagine. And God is calling all generations to come alongside of one another, to tap one another on the shoulder, to say, I see something in you, and the next generation to say, and I see something in you, and I want to learn from you. Whose legacy are you helping build? And who are you allowing to come alongside of you to help this work? and being part, participant in God's grand mission in this world. Who are you helping and who are you honoring? You know, when I was a pastor in Pasadena, something that we used to do all the time, is I would have our congregation say a phrase that was very meaningful to me as a pastor and still is today. And I wanna invite you to to join me in this. This is what we used to say. We used to always say, I need you you need me, we need you, you need us. Do you hear that? It's not a selfie culture, it's not just about me. But it's us looking around realizing that we're all called to the table in this work together and that we need each other, that we cannot do this alone. So I'm gonna invite you to say it, and if you're online, I want you to type it in the chat to repeat after me. And as you say it, I want you to say it to the next generation, but I also want you to hear others in this room saying it. Listen, repeat after me, I need you. you. Let's try that one more time. Like, let's just say it from the gut, like mean it, ready? I need you. You You need me. me. We need you. you. You You need us. My friends, Don't do this alone. We need each other. Let us pray. Living Lord, 
we thank you that we get to do this. That we get to be participants in what you are doing in the world. That we, we get to be empowered by your spirit to restore a broken, weary, hurting, desperate world crying out in pain. And God, I pray that we would never, ever, ever believe the lie that this work and this journey is a solo one. But it's about pouring into and investing in the lives of others as we are poured into and invested in. Let us be a people that humbly submit to the wisdom of others. And let us be a generous people that generously give wisdom to others. God, I pray that Christ's church would be a culture of investment, of understanding that it's not about me, myself, and I, but it's about a holy us and a holy work that you are doing in us. So empower us to one another as we are together empowered to your work in this world for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.